0: Well, last week, we started a message on what it means to be the royal priesthood of God. And we're in a series called Community, where we're just looking at what the Bible has to say about what it means to be the people of God. And that video, in a very wonderful way, recapped kind of some of the things that I tried to share last week about what it means to be the priest of God. I want to bring us right back to the passage that we were studying last week in 1 Peter chapter 2. The apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, writes these words to believers who are really scattered and exiled all over the world. He says, but you, and this is the plural form of the pronoun you, but all of you together are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You belong to God. That's what he's saying. And here's the reason why that you, all of you together, not you individually, but all of you as a community may proclaim the excellencies of him, God, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are called as individuals out of darkness into his marvelous light, but as a body, as a group together, we proclaim his excellencies. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people Once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that verse I just read is true of you. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think something about that verse, we can leave it up for a second. I think some of us would prefer that it would just say, once you were not a person saved by God, but now you are a person saved by God. And I, th- and I think that would work better for some of us because that's singular. You know, I have an individual relationship with God, and that's all I need out of it. But the apostle Peter knows that God does not save us just to have a relationship with him. God saves us to have relationships with one another. Once you are not a people. But now you are a people. There's a connection here between receiving mercy and becoming the people of God. And so last week, we simply answered the question, what does it mean? What does a royal priesthood mean? And this week, we're going to answer the question, what does the idea of you and I being the royal priesthood of God, what does it mean for us? Not just what does it mean generally speaking, but what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you today when you go home and you throw the grill on and you throw some steaks on the grill or you head off to work tomorrow morning or you head back to school for your last week of school tomorrow, students? What does it mean for you then? And the first thing that we're going to see is that it means that everything you do matters to God. Everything you do. You're singing this morning, you're being here this morning, your devotional life, uh, your giving, your generosity, it matters to God. But you know what else? So does your work. The way in which you do your work, your housework, the planting of uh, your garden, the, the working on your car, the playing sports, the running around. Everything you do matters to God because we are a royal priesthood. And last week, we saw that if you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where you have these two creation accounts, and there's a lot of kind of discussion and debate and disagreement about what it all means, but one of the things that is evident is that when God rests on the seventh day of creation, everyone back then knew what that meant. It meant that God had created for himself a temple in which he wanted to dwell and rest because deities, gods, only rested in their own temples. So, when God rests on the seventh day of creation, it means that the universe, all of God's creation, is his temple. It's where he desires to be seen and known and in relationship with his creation and glorified and honored. And then he creates you and I, humans, in his image to do what? To be his priest. We are the priests in his temple who are supposed to have access to him, who are supposed to worship him, but also extend his reign and rule throughout all of creation, over every corner of creation. So we were created to be his priests. Now, how do we do that? And one of the ways that we go about doing that is through the work that we do. This is often overlooked. But God didn't create Adam because God was lonely. God is self-sufficient. He's always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God didn't learn to love. God is love. He's always been love. So he didn't create Adam because he was lonely. He didn't create Adam because he was bored. He didn't even create Adam just to have a relationship with him. He created Adam because there was work to do in the temple. And when it says in Genesis 2, he says to Adam, I need you to work, intend, and keep the garden. Sometimes we think of what, what the Garden of Eden must have been like, and we just think of them just like running around, you know, swinging from branches, swimming, enjoying life, running around. Uh, but Adam actually had work to do. He did really significant work, and that work that he had to do was priestly work. And so one of the ways that we worship God is through our work. You know, One of the mistakes that we often make in our society especially is instead of worshiping God through our work, we worship our work. And our work becomes our identity, our source of joy, our sense of self, or we worship the things that we think work will give us, security, significance, power, meaning. And so here God has given us this priestly responsibility to worship him through the work that we do in his temple. And a lot of times we mess it up because we end up worshiping our work. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But God gives Adam this mandate, and it's a mandate to you and I also to be what's called a culture maker. And a culture maker takes the raw materials found in creation and improves upon them, discovers them, develops them, builds them, improves them for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so, you know, some examples of what this might look like. Authors, writers, they take the raw ingredients of imagination and ideas and pen and paper, and they create stories that captivate our hearts and, and, and that we enjoy sharing with others. Carpenters take the raw material of wood and metal and tools and the skill, the God-given skill of their hand, and they make tables and chairs and stairs and all sorts of things I couldn't make. And then chefs take flour and, and, and egg and salt and water and make fresh pasta, right? We take these things and we make these things. And although that seems sort of insignificant to us and maybe separate from our spiritual life, it's not. Everything you do matters to God, whether you're bagging groceries, cleaning trash off the street, treating people in a hospital, teaching students in a school, working from home, working at home. Whatever it is that you do, it's priestly work because you're taking your God-given gifts and you're making something of it. And you're doing it to his glory and for the good of others. And it matters to God. Yesterday, I was out back with my 11-year-old daughter, Caroline, and we were playing catch with the lacrosse sticks, and we were throwing the ball back and forth. And, and I got an early Father's Day present. Caroline actually asked me, Dad, what's your sermon about tomorrow? Which I was like, oh, I thought no one would ask. Now, just a little warning. If you ever ask a pastor what his sermon was or is about or is going to be about, just brace yourself. We're not good at summarizing. So I took the next 10 minutes and kind of walked her through my message, step by. I think she regretted pretty quickly that she had asked that question. But I was explaining to her this first point that everything we do matters to God. And sometimes as Christians, we separate what we do in this building and what we do outside of this building. And we think what happens in this building or what what, what happens when we're serving in the nursery or what happens when we're going on a mission trip or what happens when we're telling our friends about Jesus. Somehow that matters to God. But what I do Monday through Friday for 40 hours of my week, it doesn't really matter to God. And right from the beginning of scripture, God wants us to know that no, all things we do, matter to God. He cares about the work that we do and he cares about the way in which we do our work and so I was telling Caroline I said even what we're doing right now just playing catch this can be worship because we're using physical gifts that God has given us. We're developing them. We're working on them. We're exercising exercising. We're enjoying each other's company. This can be where sometimes people think well um, even on Sunday mornings if you're serving in the nursery or if you're serving in, in, in the kids' ministry and you miss the service, I've heard people say this, I missed worship, or I don't want to serve in the nursery, I don't want to serve in kids because I don't want to miss worship, and what you mean is I don't, you don't want to miss the singing, this is a, and that's wonderful. However, can I just suggest that the, the people who are working in the nursery right now taking care of our children, they are worshiping this morning just as much as you and I are, Just as much as we were worshiping when we stood and we sang, our children's workers over there who are using their gifts and their talents to bless our kids and help our kids develop and grow, they're worshiping because everything that we do can be an act of worship to God. God cares about everything we do. And what this all means is that everyone who bears God's image, the work that we do in our lives is necessary, not only as an act of obedience because God told us to work, but also for our fulfillment and for the flourishing of creation. Anything we do that leaves people, place, and things, people, places, and things better than we found them. Any work that we do that makes the city of man more like the city of God. Any work we do that shines beauty, truth, justice, administration, organization, service, nourishment, strength, encouragement, any of that work is work that matters to God. And everything you do matters to God. So. Think about your life Monday through Saturday when you're working in your other capacities and realize that even that is work that matters to God. That's priestly work. We worship through our work. People sometimes think, well, the real ministry happens on Sunday. No, ministry is all of life. With all of life, we can minister to God, being his priest in his temple, worshiping and honoring him. Everything we do matters to God. Second thing this morning is that everything we are belongs to God. Now, there's actually two opposite errors that people make when it comes to understanding what it means to be a royal priesthood. And there are some people who think of themselves as less than priests, and that's what the first point was about. You're not less than a priest. You're a royal priest in God's temple doing his work. And sometimes when people think of work, they don't think of themselves in terms of being priests. They think of themselves only in terms of being producers. I, I am what I produce and I, I produce at my work. Or uh, here we are on Father's Day. Some dads, you tend to think of yourself as a provider and your work is nothing more than producing something so that you can provide something for your family. Or other people work in a, in a way in which they're always performing, whether it's music or on stage or writing or art. And so we reduce ourselves to just producers, just providers, just performers. But God says, no, you're priests. You're priests, and your work matters. So that's one error. But the other error is that not not so much that we think we're less than priests, but that we want to be more than priests. Here's a very important truth about priests. Priests always served a God. A priest, to be a priest in a temple meant that your life belonged to that God. You served that God. But in our society today, people don't want to be priests to a God. We want to be God. (laughs) We want to be worshiped. We want to be served. We want to set the rules. We want to define truth. We want to do these sort of things. But everything we are belongs to God. Priests always served a God. And when Peter says that you are a royal priesthood, what he's saying is that you are a priest under the dominion of the king of the universe, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Well, the first time we kind of ent- uh, are introduced to priests in the Bible is all the way back in Leviticus, or the Old Testament. And in Leviticus chapter 9 specifically, we read about the way in which the priests were set apart for their work. And there was a man named Aaron who was like the first priest of Israel, and him and his sons had to be set apart. And there's a long list of things that they had to do to be ordained and consecrated to be now, we don't do this anymore. Everything I'm about to say, we don't do anymore, but there's a really important spiritual principle for us to learn from this. So let's look at this real quick. First off, if you were going to be a priest, before the whole um, sort of ceremony began, you had to be washed. It was bath time. You had to clean yourself. Your body had to be as clean as it possibly could be, signifying, signifying that you were clean before God. Then there was, they were ceremoniously clothed, special clothing for the event that they had to wear. And then once they were dressed and once they were clean and all the altars and all the objects were consecrated with oil, then, and only then, the sacrifices would begin. First, there was a sin offering, and the sin offering was for the sins of the priest, just in case they had sinned since their last offering, they needed to to perform another sin offering. Then there was a burnt offering for the atonement for the priest. Then there was another sacrifice for the sanctification of the priest. So three sacrifices, nothing's even happened yet. And then for seven days, Aaron and his sons hung out in this tent called the Tent of Meeting, and they stayed there, and they prayed, and they worshiped for seven days. And on every single one of those days, sacrifices were offered, all to get them ready to be priests. They're not even priests yet. Then on the eighth day, Aaron and his sons are called out of the tent, and they offer two more offerings, a sin offering and an ordination offering. Now they became priests who could serve the people and they would offer more offerings now, not on their behalf, but on behalf of the people. And they would do this, Aaron and his sons, one by one, each one at a time, as the Lord had prescribed for them to do. And when Aaron and his sons were inside that tent for seven days, they weren't just sitting there doing nothing. They weren't playing board games. They weren't playing, uh, you know, video games. They were in there praying. They were making offerings. They were face-to-face with the, the mess of their sin and the blood that was required for the compensation to be paid to make them priests. Why did I say all that? For this simple point. Priests from the beginning have been set apart in very significant ways, and that is true of you and me as well. To be the royal priesthood doesn't just mean that everything we do matters. It means everything that we are belongs to God. Everything we are, every area of your life, every corner of your heart, belongs to God. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And so here we have this truth that to be a royal priesthood means that our lives are not our own. Our lives are not our own. And when I talk with people who struggle with some of the biblical teachings on morals and ethics and different things and really don't like what the Bible has to say about the way in which we should live our lives, the first question I, I, I usually ask them is this. Do you believe the scripture teaches Do you believe that Scripture teaches that there's a righteous creator to whom we're accountable for our lives? Because if you don't believe that, then it's hard to actually talk about anything else. But if you believe that, then the next question is, well, how do we know how he wants us to live our lives? How do we know the way in which God, if God is the the, the designer of our lives, then he is also the definer of the way in which our lives best work? And a lot of times you, you see these rules and these restrictions and these truths and these morals and these ethics in Scripture, and it feels like, well, he's just kind of trying to control us and raid in our parade. But what if, what if, what if the Creator knows how we were best created to flourish and experience real freedom? Because real freedom is not the absence of all restraints. Real freedom is embracing the right restraints, the ones that actually lead us into freedom, and into flourishing. I use this example a lot, but I'll use it again. You know, if you think of a helium balloon attached to a string, and the helium balloon is just kind of floating, we're walking outside like yesterday, like a windy day, and the helium balloon is just looking around going, man, this string is really holding me down. <laughs> this string is really holding me back. I could really soar. I could be something if I could just get rid of this string. And so that balloon wiggles itself free from the string. And of course, what happens, the balloon goes directly into a tree and pops and explodes and doesn't do what it was created to do. What's the point? The point is this. Sometimes the things that seem to hold us down actually are holding us up. We read things in scripture and we're like, "That I don't know if that's how I want to live my life. And yet to be a royal priesthood is to say, I'm set apart for you. And you get to decide, God, the way in which I'm going to live my life because you are the righteous creator to whom I'm accountable and I've been bought with a price. We've been set apart. But we've not just been set apart from things like bad, evil things in our past, sin, behaviors, attitudes. Yes, God sets us apart from things, but he also always sets us apart for things. When the priest became the priest, the very first thing they did is they made sacrifices for the people. And so to be a royal priest means that you don't live for yourself, but you live for others. That your life belongs to God, but the service that you offer to God is most often in service of other people. And this is what it means to be a priest, that we live our lives to honor God, set apart from the things that will destroy us, set apart for the things that give us life. And the things that most give us life are serving God, knowing God, honoring God, worshiping God in a way that strengthens other people around us. And that's what it means, by the way, to be a community. That's what the church should be known for, both of those things. Number one, that we honor God with our lives, and number two, that we love and serve others. And many times, some churches are more known for this one. They honor God with their lives. They follow every rule. In fact, they're kind of jerky about it, and they don't actually care about people, and they actually judge people who don't honor God the same way that they do. And then you have other churches who are just like, we just want to love and serve anyone. Who cares what God said about this, that, or the other? We're just here to love and serve. And to be a royal priesthood means that we live in the tension of both of those. Our lives are not our own. We belong to God, but belonging to God means that our lives are given for the nations and given for others, and that's what it means to be a priest. Okay, last thing this morning. Everything we do matters to God. Everything we are belongs to God, and then lastly, everything we have is from God. And this is, by the way, the motivation to embrace the first two things I said. Everything you do matters to God, Everything you are belongs to God. Well, where do we find the inner motivation to live out those truths? This is it. Everything we have is from God. I'm going to invite Jared and Amy up. We're going to sing in just a moment. Peter, when he writes these words, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. In chapter 1, verse 1 of this same book, Peter calls these people exiles, exiles. They're not where they belong. They're not home. They're outsiders, they're marginalized, they're overlooked. And yet to these people, Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are the royal priesthood. And what Peter is saying is that you who feel like you're always on the outside, that you've literally been sent out as an exile or dragged off as an exile, that you've been cast out, here's the truth, you actually are the ultimate insiders. For all the Old Testament, to be a priest was a very limited, specific group of people. And to be the priest who could actually go into the Holy of Holies one day a year was so special and limited. But now because of what Jesus has done, Peter's saying, you're all priests. You're all part of the royal priesthood. And here's your way in. Now this actually is, should resonate with us as human beings because to be human is to spend your life listen to this to spend your life looking for a way in we're all looking for a way in a way we all we have this sort of like unshakable sense that we're on the outside of something and so we want to get in on gossip we want to get in on the inner circle at, at the workplace we want to be in the influencers on the sports team we want to be with the best players in high school. We want to be with the kids that seem like they got it together or that they're, they're cool or, or, or whatever it is. And we work so hard and we enslave ourselves and we spend so much of our time and our energy and we post pictures of ourselves and we share about our lives. And it's really like, if we were honest, it's all like we're just trying to get in. We all feel like we're outside of something. And then every new relationship, every new person, every new opportunity, every new school, every new job, it's like, maybe this will get me in. Jesus knew this about us, of course, and he knew there was a danger to this. And in Matthew 16, 25, he says something shocking. He says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. And when he says love your life, here's what he's saying. To love your life, listen to this, means to treasure your own life above everything else, even above God. It means to give your heart to whatever you think can or will get you in. So loving your life means that you're going to spend all of your energy, all of your effort, all of your strength, all of your emotion being a priest to something other than God. People are priests to their careers. People are priests to love, the idea of love. People are priests to pleasure. Because to be a priest to something simply means you adore it, you love it, you worship it, and you make sacrifices to have it. And every human being is actually being a priest, The question is, are you being the priest that God created you to be, to his glory? You're in his temple. (laughs) You're in his temple. And here we are running around in the temple of the most holy God and we're worshiping other gods. What What a profane thing. Now you can get a taste of the severity of sin that we would be in a temple of God where we were created to make worship to that one true God and instead we're building altars all throughout God's temple to other gods and being priests to all the wrong things. And the danger, so, so let me finish that verse. Jesus says, those who love their life in this world will lose it, but those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Well, what, is, what does that mean? It means that it's not my life, it's his life. And the entirety of my life is spent serving him and others. And the danger here in losing your life is this. Jesus says in the very next verse, one of the most famous things that he says, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world? but lose their soul. A lot of times we read that verse, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? And we think lose your soul means to die and spend eternity apart from God. But it actually has a much more present implication than that. Because the word soul in the Greek there is not speaking of your physical life. It's actually the word psyche, from which we get the word psychology, which means that what Jesus is saying is that what you're going to lose is not just a relationship with me and not just eternity with me, but you're actually going to lose your very sense of self. You're going to lose who you were created to be. You were created to be a priest in the temple of God. And so many of us in so many ways relinquish that role. We think we're just producers, performers, providers. Or we try to be more than a priest. We want people to worship us. And yet we've been called to be priests. You can lose your sense of self and your pursuits and love of lesser things. And here's what you're doing. You're losing yourself trying to get in. Now, here's how I want to finish this. To be in, to be the royal priesthood, The scripture makes it clear, we couldn't get ourselves in. There's not enough goats to kill. There's not enough lambs to kill. There's not enough pigeons to kill. There's not enough sacrifices to make. It wasn't going to work. So what had to work? There had to be a true and better high priest. Jesus Christ, our true and better high priest, came not just to make a sacrifice, but to become the sacrifice. And through the shedding of his blood, we have the forgiveness of our sins, and it's one sacrifice to end all other sacrifices. No more sacrifices are required. That means if you are a Christian, you do not have... Some Christians live like they have a lot to atone for. In fact, their Christian life is an effort to atone. I'm going to do enough good things because I did so many bad things before. If you're a Christian this morning, meaning you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have nothing to atone for, but you have everything to be thankful for. And it's out of that deep gratitude and thankfulness that we embrace who we really are, priests of the most high God. Jesus, our true and better priest, provided us with a way in. You're not on the outs. You're on the end. You are a child of God, adopted into the family of God. He's your father. He's your friend. He's your savior. He's your Lord. You belong to him. Everything you do matters to him. Everything you are belongs to him, and everything you have is from him. Let's pray together.